When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right, yeah, our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up. Get your sorry ass up. Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen you before, huh? Man, go tell the coach you need some help. We gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Let's go! Let's go! What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me, your host, Matthew Burning, at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts associated with this network, though, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from Sirius XM Radio, Mr. Bob Lung, the award-winning fantasy football consistency guide and the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo, Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others, and you can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We at the Roundtable are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the most advanced stats in football, baseball, basketball, and college football. College football stats are extremely hard to find. For just $15 a year, you can look at all of these. I'm telling you guys, it is well worth it. If you like to dive into the analytical side of sports and or for I use it for prospects, college football prospects specifically, it is amazing. It goes down to the minutest of details in this stuff. And again, it's just $15 a year. If you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you will get 10% off of that, which is a steal of a deal, if I do say so myself, and probably the best deal in the industry. So definitely check them out, especially if you want to get a jump on the upcoming draft class. It'll be well worth your time and money. What's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast coming at you. It's Monday. Usually, we've got Mr. Dennis Bennett, who you can follow at Culture underscore Coach on Twitter, along with Matthew Fox, who you can follow at Nighthawk7734. Unfortunately, Dennis has got some stuff going on, so he won't be with us, but Matt is here. He's ready to jump on with me. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL news. Some of the people, or players, I should say, that impressed us throughout the Combine this weekend. And then last but not least, we're going to get our weekly breakdown of the XFL games from the one and only XFL guru himself, Matthew Fox, who does all of the XFL stuff for the FLA blog. Hello! And we've got Mr. Matthew Fox with us today. You can follow him at uh, Nighthawk7734 on Twitter. No, Dennis, he's got some family stuff going on, so it's just going to be me and Matt for today's episode. Matt, how was your weekend? How you doing today? The weekend was pretty good. Um, you know, still just wrestling with the inevitability that I'll have to deal with Tony Romo ruining my Sundays by broadcasting <laughs> CBS games for the foreseeable future. You know, I wasn't actually even going to 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 bring that up, but since you went there, let's just go right with it. Um, what are your thoughts on all these players kind of coming out and talking about this? There's been like a lot of controversy coming with a lot. I mean, there's a lot of players coming out and talking about the money that he's getting, and part of me understands it. Uh, you know, I was actually in a, a group chat probably about an hour ago. We were talking about uh, stuff with that, and I kind of get what the players are saying. Obviously, without them, Tony Romo doesn't technically have a job announcing. He's announcing the game that the players are playing, and for the most part, uh, a lot of the NFL players are not making really good money. A lot of people focus on the top-end guys, like the quarterbacks, the best wide receiver, best running back, defensive ends. Like, those guys getting high-end cornerbacks, like, a lot of those guys get paid a lot of money, but the rest of NFL rosters don't make a lot of money. Uh, so what are your thoughts on kind of all these high-profile players coming out and, and, in a way, kind of trashing Tony Romo's deal of, I believe it was, is it $17 million a year uh, for his contract with CBS? Yeah. I mean, I'm sort of fine with it because I love Tony Romo with the passion of a thousand sons. But if you were looking at it realistically, 
Um, I think Michael Thomas's comment that he's making more than 90% of the players. <coughs> First, I don't know if it's 90% of the players he's making more than. But secondly, if you take the top performer in any industry and compare them against the bottom performer in another industry, it's always going to look out of balance. What he should really be looking at is what is the number 10 sideline reporter for CBS uh-huh. making versus players. I mean, Tony Romo obviously is viewed by CBS and many others as the number one guy. Yeah. You would be comparing his salary against the top end quarterbacks, the top end, but he's not making more than Von Miller's going to make for the Broncos this year. Yeah. You're talking about, measuring him you're you're measuring him against you know roster players 50 51 52 and 53 when in terms of what he is in his role he should be getting measured against your top salary cap guy yeah i don't disagree with you on that i said for me you know i've always kind of the argument i've made when other not even just uh announcers because you really don't see that much when when people come out talk about announcers money but players when when you see people come out on Twitter and say, oh, well, that player doesn't deserve that money, I mean, you're worth what someone's willing to pay you. And, and I'm with you. I think Tony Romo really, you know, I I don't want to say I'm a big fan of his. I don't have anything against Tony Romo. Obviously, I think he's kind of one of the, the most underappreciated quarterbacks with what he did in Dallas. So, you know, as many people know, because I talk about it all the time, I live here in Texas, and it's interesting. It almost seems like half the Cowboys fan base loves Tony and, and respects what he was he did, even though he's, he kind of brought them some heartbreak with some of their tough losses in the playoffs. Uh, and then there's another part of the, the Cowboys fan base that really seems to kind of hate him. And uh, so I, I kind of see both sides of uh, Tony Romo when, when he's here. And I just, uh, I mean, I think he's really good at what he does. I really do. I, I, I love watching games that he calls. Uh, I, I have no issues. I know some people don't like when he uh, calls plays correctly before they happen and everything. I love his enthusiasm when he's in the booth. Like I'm, I'm all about him. So I, I like it. And you know, CBS is willing to pay him that much money. What did you expect him to go back? I'm like, no, no, don't pay me 17 million a year. I'm, I'm only worth like five million a year. No, if someone offers you 17 million yeah. a year for a job, you're gonna take it. So yeah, I have, uh, I have no issue with it. I like I said, I do kind of get the argument that some of the players are making for it. Uh, but, you know, it's also a smaller industry in, in, in the uh, in announcers. They don't have to pay 52 announcers a team and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, you know, a little bit uh, a little bit different, I think, and, and it's probably getting taken out of context a little bit. But I just wanted to touch on that. Since you brought up Mr. Romo, uh, and there has been a lot of talk about that, let's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about some of the combine stuff, but let's talk about some of the, the news that's been going on here in NFL circles here the past couple days. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. The uh, the big news that came out earlier today was about Jameis Winston. So there's obviously been a lot of back and forth on whether the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would franchise tag him, would they bring him back. There was a lot of talks early on about possibly a two-year deal uh, with with the Buccaneers, uh, it seems like he is going to go into free agency, or at least test free agency. Now, I saw a, a news story that was kind of connected to, to that with the, the fact that the Buccaneers really want to franchise tag uh, Barrett, their linebacker, if they cannot get a long-term yeah. deal done with him. So if that does happen, then that almost completely rules out, in my opinion, them bringing back Winston unless they sign him to a long-term deal, which I don't think they want because it really seems like they have kind of really only talked about a two-year deal. Uh, you know, we were talking in our Twitter group chat a little bit this weekend uh, about stuff with him because he also got uh, surgery on his knee, uh, on his meniscus. Uh, they had to shave it down. I've I've had something done like that, so I know what that is. Uh, it can be a very painful thing. Could have led to some of the interceptions. I don't know if it really did, uh, but it can really kind of mess with your lower body mechanics as a quarterback. I could really see that with that kind of uh, with that kind of injury. And, and I was talking to you about how there was an uh, interview at the Combine this weekend by Bruce Arians where he really was critical of Jameis Winston and his turnovers. And not just the fact that he threw 30 of them, because he talked about in his system, they're going to be turnovers. And he understands that it's when Jameis was turning the ball over that really bothered him. And so when your head coach comes out and says stuff like that, 
to me, it really, I think, is pointing toward Winston is not going to be back. What are your thoughts on kind of this whole thing with Winston and everything, and and where would you lean now? Because I feel like we were all kind of, I would say, at worst, 50-50 with him moving on or coming back to Tampa earlier this offseason. Where are you now with all these new stories coming out? Well, so I think the big missing piece in here is whether or not the players – uh, this week ratify the new CBA um, because one of the things I think that's been a discussion here is um, kind of a I, I guess I don't know if you'd call it a poison pill or something that they had put uh, to kind of goose players towards ratifying a new CBA is if there is no CBA ratified and this is the last year teams have the option to tag two players yeah if the CBA passes, it goes back to only having the option to do one or the other. So I, I think there's a possibility if it doesn't pass, they end up tagging both, um, you know, making a franchise tag on Barrett and a transition tag mm-hmm. on Winston where they have the right to match if they decide that's what they want to do as a way to keep more options open. I think they're torn on Jameis Winston the same way we are. You see flashes that make you excited. The turnovers, though, you know, somebody pointed out, no matter who he's had working with him, what system he's been in, he's consistently struggled in that area throughout his career. And and last year they tried to surround him with Bruce Arians, some other people working on offense and quarterback coach. And Bruce has a very good point. It's not just that he throws them. It's the killer moments when those yeah. things happen. And I think some, I would argue, some of the inflation of the overall number is the fact that Tampa Bay was chronically playing from behind because their defense wasn't great. Although chronically turning the ball over puts your defense in bad positions. But, you know, there was a lot of times where Jameis just had to go out there and try to sling it because his team was behind and that was it. But there are other times during close games where those kind of things bite you. He's a guy, you know, this that turnover propensity, particularly like fumbling and sloppiness, is what finally led his previous coach, uh, Dirk Cutter, to put him on the bench in favor of Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, they went back and forth in that season, but he, Jameis got benched because of some really sloppy play, and Fitzmagic yeah. ended up going back in. Uh, you know, it it hasn't gotten a lot better. And the, the, the other thing is he has been pretty consistent that he thinks he's like a 30-plus million dollar a year player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a huge investment in a guy that hasn't won anything. And hasn't been able to clean up these. It's not like he made great strides anywhere in those five years where you could say it wasn't perfect, but X. So I, I think it's real tough sell, but I, it, I'm not sure he has the market he thinks he does. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. It's going to be a... Almost kind of like Melvin Gordon last year, I guess would be the way I'd put it, is you know yeah. he held out and, and the Chargers were pretty much told his agent, like, you know what, if you can find a trade, go right ahead and we'll, we'll, we'll let you you know work yourself a trade. And then all of a sudden he realized, yeah, nobody really wants me, especially for the price that I think I'm worth. I'm with you 100%. I mean, this is a quarterback league. All it takes, I guess, is that one team to make that move. But of all the teams that need quarterbacks, I kind of feel like they're so high up in the draft – why would you take a guy like Jameis Winston, who, yes, as you mentioned, he he definitely has flashes, and he is an exciting quarterback to watch. But as Arians mentioned in that interview, as you've mentioned, as we've all said on this podcast, turnovers is the biggest thing for quarterbacks. You just can't turn the ball over, and it's not just the interceptions with him. It's the fumbles as well. I mean, he since he has entered the league, he leads the entire NFL in turnovers with fumbles and interceptions. That's not a good stat to be the leader of. I would be surprised if a team takes a shot on him, especially if it's that much, if he's commanding $30 million a year. Because, I mean, you have, as much as I like to hate on Dak Prescott, you have the Cowboys who seem like they're not even willing to pay Dak Prescott $35 million a year. And you want to, Winston wants to come in here and tell me he's only $5 million less better than Dak? I don't think so. So, yeah, it, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them, I believe. Well, especially with if you looked at the 
the options, uh, you know, that are out there, even if there was a team that wanted a quarterback, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, even Ryan Tannehill and Teddy Bridgewater have all shown flashes of being able to eliminate negative tendencies and yeah. do well and guide teams into playoffs in a way that Jameis Winston hasn't. And I think he's pricing himself into a hole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. I think he he's going to have to try it. Or I would say not try. He's more than likely going to have to take less money than what he thinks he's worth if he wants to end up being on a team or getting a shot at a starting job that he thinks he deserves, in my opinion. Because I just – I personally, or right he's going to have to do a one-year prove-it deal and then hope that he can magically erase. That's kind of why I thought a short-term or a one-year thing with Tampa Bay might be the way it ends up because I feel like if he thinks he's worth that much money, he's going to have to do some kind of short-term bet on myself deal and show that I I can rise above these issues. Because nobody wants to invest $30, $35 million a year in a guy that's going to break their heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, let's see. Some of the other news, uh, I guess a really another interesting storyline. I'm going to touch on this one really quick. Uh, we're not really going to get into the Tom Brady stuff. We don't really know what happened. You know, We all saw the video of, of him at the uh, Syracuse game. We don't know what's going to happen with them. I'm not. We're not going to jump in and talk about the hearsay here. So, but we we do know about it. We'll touch on it if more news comes out. AJ Green is likely though going to be franchise tagged by the Bengals, and I actually don't think this is a bad move for the Bengals. I, I see it as them trying to show Joe Burrow because we've obviously seen all the news about him and him possibly not wanting to go to Cincinnati. I do see this as a look. We're we're still trying to keep weapons around you. A.J. Green has come out multiple times and said that he, not that he wants to leave Cincinnati, but he wants a long-term deal. Maybe if they franchise him, they're able to work that out. I do think if he stays there, it would be a good thing for him because he'd get probably the best quarterback he's had since Palmer. Uh, nothing against Andy Dalton, but I, I do think Burrow is going to be better than Dalton. And it's also going to give uh, Burrow a really, really good weapon in, in A.J. Green there at wide receiver to pair with Tyler Boyd and possibly a healthy John Ross. What uh, What are your thoughts here on them possibly franchise tagging A.J. Green here, which I believe the window ends in 10 days, uh, March 12th is the last day you have to either franchise tag or transition tag if, as you mentioned earlier, they do not sign the new CBA before then. Yeah, so I thought this was kind of stunning. If there was one player going into the offseason we really felt like was certainly on the move, it felt like it was A.J. Green. Not, you know, Especially with the way that season ended, it felt like they kind of capitulated to him not being thrilled about the situation of the product they were putting on the field and and decided not to activate him. And there's also been these questions about how, you know, what about his injury status? Are there any kind of concerns? The fact that the Bengals now seem to have reversed course and are planning on franchise tagging him kind of makes you think that uh, his injury status has been somewhat cleared up because they would have to be the team that would be the closest to that. No matter yeah. what Joe Burrow said about wanting to have a weapon, if if they thought A.J. Green was a bad health risk, I don't think you make this move. And it's also curious – what this means, there's a lot of us that have been excited about holding Auden Tate, yeah. uh, curious about Alex Erickson. I think a secret beneficiary might be Tyler Boyd because he seemed to play better when A.J. Green was out there drawing coverages. Um, you know, it's just an interesting, you know, the Bengals have a better path to probably having a top offense keeping A.J. Green than they would just going young and kind of trying to start over. Uh, but it's a real bummer for, I, I think, Auden Tate uh, fantasy, uh, you know, dynasty holders, because that really throws kind of what his role is into question, unless A.J. Green ends up missing again, um, you know, which is something that's tough to forecast. Yeah, uh, that's actually probably the biggest bummer. Uh, I'm someone who owns Auden Tate in quite a lot of leagues. I, I liked what I saw out of him last year before he got hurt. Um, I, You know, in all honesty, depending obviously on your size of league, if it's a keeper league, you probably not keep him. If it's a dynasty league, I would still hold on to him. I mean, he, 
clearly showed uh, he has a lot of fantasy value. I think he'd be a good fit with Burrow. Uh, and we don't know what A.J. Green's going to do because just because they franchise tag him doesn't mean he's going to get a long-term deal done. Uh, that just means he's at least going to be with the Bengals one more year. So not a guy that I would uh, you know, really think about moving on from or anything like that, but definitely worth watching as, as you're writing. Even if he comes back for just this one year, it's likely going to hurt Auden Tate's value for at least one year. Uh, outside of... Yeah, because, I mean, you don't really know about... I mean, with Green and John Ross were the ones that really struggled with injuries last yeah. year. You assume if they all come back with what we saw from Ross and with who A.J. Green is, you know, they probably end up on top. Somebody's the odd man out there, but I still... You know, it's curious to me. I don't think Cincinnati's biggest problem last year was their wide receivers or their running back or even their quarterback necessarily. They had a horrific offensive line. Drafting yeah. Joe Bur- Burrow is great. Re-signing and splashing out big money to keep A.J. Green makes the casual fans happy because these are weapon names they recognize. But if they don't get better health and better players up front, I, I'm not sure it's going to matter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you there. The offensive line definitely needs to be revamped and quickly for the Bengals. Uh, No other real news stories I think that we need to touch on uh, that were very relevant. Like I said, we've got – obviously, we're about to really start kicking off the new league year here. We've got, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the franchise and transition tag, assuming this new CBA is not signed, uh, will be closed on the 12th, so in about 10 days. And I believe legal tampering, quote unquote, starts on the 14th or 16th, so two days after that. And then obviously, uh, NFL free yeah, it's agency. The 16th. 16th, gotcha. Okay, so then, and NFL free agency starts the 18th. So, I mean, we're getting really close to the start of the new year and, and possibly a lot of moves coming. That's uh, our plan right now for the Thursday show with, with me, you, and Tony. Is uh, My plan is to start going over some free agency stuff as we're starting to get closer and closer to it. So I'm excited about that. So with that being done, all the new stuff, we're going to jump in and talk about what we thought of and the players that we liked and did not like from the Combine this past weekend. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter and Bell caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro! And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. For the freshman. He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards. So obviously everybody's kind of talking about the combine right now, uh, you know, with without Dennis being here, really there's not a lot going on. Uh, it's kind of 
as weird as it is to say, almost a little bit of a dead period right now for the NFL. They got that two weeks where things really kind of slow down for a minute and then everything picks back up. Uh, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here on the combine, but we did want to talk about some of the guys that really, really impressed us and some of the guys that kind of let us down. Uh, you know, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we were hoping to do this with all three of us with uh, Dennis being out. I'm going to save uh, the XFL recap for, for the end of the episode. Uh, we've talked about it every Monday. Matt does all of the previews and reviews for the XFL for the FLA blog. I'm going to let him end on a, end us kind of on a high note with that XFL. So I thought there was a couple good games this weekend. So we will do that at the end. We're going to do really quick some combine talks. So Matt, I'm going to kick it to you first. Who was one of the guys that really kind of stood out for you this past weekend? And you can go anywhere you want. Uh, you know, for me, two of the tackles had phenomenal combines, but you can go quarterback, running back, you know, offensive line, defensive line, wherever you want to go. Give me some of the guys that really impressed you this weekend. Well, I thought, um, you know, I, I was kind of watching a lot of Broncos Twitter and the, a couple of the positions it seems like we're looking at is uh, offensive tackles and receivers and People seem, uh, especially on Broncos Twitter, to have fallen in love with Henry Ruggs, and I don't yeah. know if it's just just the the blazing speed, but I would say he is somebody that was kind of a riser. Um, I was kind of impressed with the performance of some other receivers. Denzel Mims, I thought, had a good combine. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, it's. I'm curious about Ruggs. I know you were not super high on him. I was kind of curious, you know, it seemed like, um, Ruggs and Rager were d a lot of debate yes. pre going in. I think I mentioned this uh, on the last one, especially among Broncos Twitter and one basically, I feel like just did what you expected them to do. Mm -hmm. And one did not. Did not. I yeah. mean, I think we both follow uh, Ray on uh, yes. Twitter and that video. video yeah, that was hilarious. Shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was hilarious. And I think I saw a lot of defenders coming back that, oh, you know, th th that's not a good test for somebody like that. And, and that, you know, that's that's all fair. I also loved they put up the graphics of like the fastest receivers of all time. And I have to be honest, that is not exactly an auspicious list if you were yep. thinking about NFL production. So it's curious to me, like, people are just saying he's, you know, definitely the number one receiver off the board or everybody's trying to scheme to get him. And, you know, there were a lot of intangibles and receiver intangibles uh, from film study that had other guys ahead of him. And it seems like after the combine there, it's it's amazing that 40 yard dash really. It just seems to be the test that people want to see and make yeah. so many, so many wild swings about. Um, so that was kind of interesting to watch. I, I think I had posted this to you. I was laughing pretty hard when they were talking about ideal landing spots for quarterbacks. And I got to Jake Fromm and they said Tampa Bay Vipers oh, yeah. of the XFL. Uh, you said that his throws were really bad. I watched a couple of, when, uh, of segments when he was throwing the over the shoulder to the receivers. And I loved the commentary on the NFL Network guys. Well, he didn't ha do that great in other drills. So if I was him, I wouldn't underthrow anyone here i wouldn't yeah. even pay attention to the receiver just launch it over their head so people think you have arm strength i'm like oh my god yeah his was, so, his was bad yeah i was curious i thought it was i don't know how you'll feel but it seemed like quite a few guys got penalized a little bit for uh deciding not to participate i know you have really loved uh, jk dobbins and it seems like he has slid down a lot of people's rankings simply because he didn't yeah. participate in some of these which is curious to me i i think it's stupid uh you know i uh me and dennis talked about this a little bit on friday because obviously i don't i think it came out like early friday afternoon that he wasn't going to participate and obviously uh we had just started recording and and we were kind of going through actually our running back episode for the incoming rookies and they started running and everything so we were kind of talking about them as they were running and uh i, I just I don't get it. Uh, you know, everybody, for instance, Chase Young as well. Everybody was hating on Chase Young. Where was the hate for Joe Burrow? Because Joe Burrow did nothing. Joe Burrow didn't throw. Yeah. Joe Burrow didn't run. Joe Burrow did interviews and measures. But nobody's talking about – But see, 
Go ahead. For Burrow and Chase Young, I still feel like they most people, even though they didn't participate and that might annoy people, they still have them one or two right. going one or two overall. J.K. Dobbins seems to – I've seen people talking about their running back just rankings now, and he's dropped like to the bottom of the top ten. When going into it, I I feel like a lot of people were talking about him as a potential top pick. Yes. And that's – he seems to be getting punished to a degree that I don't feel like some of these other guys are for not – for choosing not to participate. Well, what the, the larger point I was trying to make with that, number one, if he's dropping past like people's 10 at running back, I'll take it all day long because you're still going to get one of the best running backs then in, in the late first round. And so if people want to be that stupid, I'm all for it. Uh, the reason Dobbins did not participate is the same thing of Chase Young. Now, Joe Burrow gave a different reason. Joe Burrow's was, hey, we just played the national championship about a month ago, and I haven't had as much time to rest as some of these other people do. I get it. Hey, I'm all for it. Chase Young said, hey, I want to be able, I'm going to participate at my pro day because they can control everything there. You cannot control what goes on at the combine. You're going to do the drills that they tell you to do. You're going to do this and that. I think it's smarter for people who have the stock, and I do think J.K. Dobbins still has a draft stock. You look at the year he had, he had one of the best years a running back could have at a very prestigious college. You know, I'm not just saying that because I am a huge Ohio State Buckeye fan and no. love the Buckeyes. They are a very prestigious college, and what they did this year, and what he did specifically, I mean, he beat Eddie George's rushing record. That's a big deal. For any of you who don't know who Eddie George is, go look him up. He's phenomenal. He's a Hall of Famer. Dobbins did better than him. That 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 speaks something to me. And from everything I've heard, it's just he wants to run at his pro day where he can control more of the scenarios. I don't think there's any problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, did it hurt him? I'm sure it did. A lot of people were not happy about it. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, too, was just because of how good some of the other guys right around him looked. I mean, Taylor looked phenomenal. Uh, my yeah. big riser at running back was Cam Akers. He has Akers. to be one of the big risers, though, right? Yes. Yeah, Akers and, and Taylor yeah, seemed mean, like they were the two that really benefited. And it's I almost put out a tweet about it the other day because it drives me crazy. Because you mentioned it just a minute ago. Everybody reads way too much into these 40 times. If you were watching the broadcast when Henry Ruggs ran what he ran, and then all of a sudden you see the list of wide receivers that it put up next to it, not one of those people have ever been fantasy relevant outside of John Ross for like maybe four games. And, and that's well, my and point. Like the, the name I recognized the most was Darius Hayward Bay, and I thought, this is not a list you want to be on. Exactly. Like, people are reading way too much into this stuff. And, and do I think Henry Ruggs is going to be that bad? No. Um, you know, obviously, you mentioned Ray's thing, at which it was. It was hilarious, that video he posted. Because uh, he's one of Jalen Rager's <laughs> biggest fans. Uh, I mean, he's been on that guy since last year. So, uh, I think Rager, it's funny, a lot of people were, were crapping on Rager for his 40 time. I think he's a lot faster than that. I don't know if it was in his head or, or what was going on. Uh, but if you look at everything else he did, he knocked the combine out. He was like in the top three wide receivers in every other drill or every other thing, the measurements, the high jump, the bench press, everything outside of – or the long jump. I'm sorry, not high jump. Uh, uh, but vertical, he was right in the top of everything outside of the 40. So he's still a phenomenal athlete. I'm not going to take anything away from Rager on his 40 time. Uh, I just – I don't know. For me, no. Dobbins didn't mean anything. Dobbins not participating didn't mean anything to me. Uh, you know, would I have loved to see him participate? Absolutely. I'd love to see him up there. And, and I do get – there was actually – I was listening this morning to uh, NFL radio and they were talking about, well, they think that that kind of speaks to the the lack of competitiveness in him. Like he doesn't want to go out there and compete against his fellow running backs. And I not necessarily mm. believe that uh, because, again, with every, the way he runs and everything, he's he's a very competitive person. That's very obvious. Uh but, you know, I do think once he competes at his pro day, you know that video will end up online and people will watch it. Maybe he'll jump back up ranks. But, again, I'll say if he's going to sit there, if, if people are really going to drop him out of, at worst, the top five uh, at running back in this draft because he didn't participate in the pro day, great. I will eat that up all day because then that means I'm going to get myself a ton of J.K. Dobbins late this year because I do think he should – I can understand the argument for Taylor and Akers above him, but outside of that, I, there's nobody else. Like, I mean, Swift, I think, is right there with him, and, and I still think Dobbins right there is a the number two back for me in this class. So I would love it yeah. if he fell out of the top five for everybody. Well, I think my two biggest things, we talked about it last week, 
I feel like people overrate some of the combine stuff. And a bigger yeah. thing to me is going to be to see where these guys end up getting drafted and what their opportunity is. And then my other feeling is every time the combine comes around is why do we then have to wait two months for the draft? Yeah, that is the worst part about it. That's why I posted that uh, that tweet the other day of, uh, is it bad that I really want the NFL draft to be here already? Because I'm right there with you. No. Like I, It's going to change so much. It's going to be funny to watch. Just watch. When, when J.K. Dobbins is drafted as like the second or third back in the draft and he ends up on a really good team, all of a sudden he's going to shoot up everybody's boards and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I, re- I knew he was going to be this good. And like, Really? Because you were just talking about him back in the end of – February, early March, because he didn't participate in the combine, you dropped him down to number ten. So it's, yeah, I'm with you. Well, and after his pro day, you're right. He'll probably get a bump after his yeah. pro day t- stuff too. Uh, you know, fortunately, we have NFL free agency, which kind of comes in there and will create a couple of hot weeks and then um, get to the draft. But it's always a little bit tough. You watch the combine, you get kind of stoked about people. You want to see where they're going to fall, and then it's. You know, not till the end of April we get to see where they go. And to me, I've, uh, you know, I've said it a couple of times, landing spot to me matters so much because you can have all the talent in the world, but if you get put in a situation where you're not going to see the field, where it's not the right fit, it in some, you know, in some senses doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm with you. Landing spot is going to change things for me. We know I've talked about it. Me and Dennis have been doing these little rookie series on Fridays, and now I've talked about it many times on there. Landing spot is going to be huge for me. The combine, not going to change anything for me. I mean, outside of like if Henry Ruggs would have gone out there and ran faster than John Ross, and even then we've talked about it. I don't, you know, that's not going to – it doesn't matter to me that much, but I can see so many people moving him up. Uh, on the Ruggs thing, as you mentioned, you know, for me it's, it's not just – I get why NFL Twitter loves him. You know, someone brought this up to me. I posted a, a tweet about him and, and Rager the other day. Or I think it was mostly about Henry Ruggs. I brought Rager into it after the fact that so many people, I've seen it all over the place. You know, NFL Twitter is just in love with Ruggs. And they keep talking about him being the number one wide receiver. And we did see some of the explosiveness and everything. He did get hurt after running the 40. Uh, but. A lot of people were telling me, and I do actually kind of understand this, a lot of NFL teams, they think they like him because of what he can do for that offense. He opens it up like Tyree Kill. Now, we're not saying that's what he's going to be for fantasy, but when you do have a guy like that on the outside, it does open up the offense because you do have to watch out for that. So I can kind of understand why NFL Twitter likes him as much, and not a lot of the fantasy guys do. For me, he's still outside my top 12. Uh, you know, I just I haven't seen enough from him at Alabama to to for me to think he's going to be fantasy relevant in the NFL. You know, what the easiest way I can describe it is we saw what he did and how fast he was, right? And and everybody you can argue, I would say is or is everybody you ask is going to say Tua is one of the best quarterbacks in this class, especially if he was still healthy. Yep. Yet with a what with a probably you know people say he's the best one of the best quarterback prospects we've seen coming out in the past couple of years. You know, a lot of people comparing him to Drew Brees again if he were healthy. Then why couldn't Henry Ruggs be better than the be- than the third best wide receiver on his team? Jerry Judy was better. Devonta Smith, who didn't even come out this year, he decided to go back to school because he thought he could improve on being a wide receiver, and he's going to come out next year. And then it was Henry Ruggs, and then even at times he was beaten out by the freshman Jalen Waddle. So for me, if you can't even beat out three guys who, again, I'm not even that high on Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy is like my third best wide receiver. Devonta Smith will be probably, I think I've got him as my fifth best wide receiver right now in my Debbie ranks for for college wide receivers coming out next year. So if you can't be better than the third best this year and the fifth best next year, what makes you think you're going to be that much better in fantasy this year? And that's just my opinion on Ruggs. He's phenomenal, but I honestly see a phenomenal speed. But I honestly do. I see him kind of like a John Ross type. Like, yeah, if he's healthy, there's going to be those games where he gets you those three catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns because he's just going to get by people. But I don't think he's doing it every week. In fact, I would say he probably only does it a couple weeks out of the season. So for me, I just haven't seen enough out of his game to be what I would think is going to be a consistent wide receiver in the NFL. Now, you mentioned landing spot. If he lands with the Kansas City Chiefs opposite of Tyreek Hill, well, hell yeah, he's going to jump up my ranks because I know Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to hit him when he runs down the field. But as I mentioned in that Twitter thread, what happens if he lands with the Chicago Bears? I don't see Mitch Trubisky throwing the ball 70 yards down the field to a wide open Henry Ruggs because he runs by everybody. So landing spot for me is really going to matter with Ruggs. I'm not going to overestimate anything he has uh, or what he did this past weekend. 
Uh, a couple other wide receivers I really like. You mentioned Denzel Mims. I'm with you on him. I thought he had a really good combine. Uh, he's a guy who should be rising up people's ranks. Uh, I think last I had him was at 11. Uh, he's probably going to rise up even more for me. Uh, I actually liked uh, Benjamin Victor from Ohio State. Thought he had a pretty good combine. Uh, Aaron Fuller, I'm trying to think of Kalijah Lipscomb out of Vanderbilt, and uh, Quintez Cephas out of Wisconsin. He's uh, Those are some of the guys. Donovan Peoples-Jones, a guy that we talked about or I brought up, I thought he also had yeah. a really good combine as well. Uh, a really sneaky guy that not a lot of people are talking about. Uh, you know, we mentioned Cam Akers at running back. There's not really a lot of guys outside of Akers. Uh, you know, we expected Hilaire to do good. He did. Uh, Swift, I thought, looked good. Uh, A.J. Dillon was a little bit surprising to me out of Boston College. Uh, he's a guy that I'm not very high on, but he did look good in some of those drills. His footwork was phenomenal. Uh, and then, obviously, Jonathan Taylor kind of blew everybody away. Uh, but we did. We yeah. talked about him in the Combine episode uh, beforehand. You know, like I said, him, Akers, Swift, Dobbins, I think those guys, you can make an argument for any of those guys to be the number one running back. Uh, and I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. I mean, I won't lie, when I watched Taylor run that 40, when I watched him in some of those drills, I mean, he looked phenomenal. So I do think, and I have seen a lot of, of talk on him kind of moving himself up into that one one spot for a lot of people, including, you know, the guy we were just talking about earlier and Ray Garvin, who, who's one of the best in this, in this industry. Uh, he has moved him up to his number one so not surprised by that he had a really good weekend uh quarterbacks for me it was it was herbert i think he's continued to prove he is a really good quarterback had a really good 40 time i thought looked really good in the drills uh you know we were talking a little bit back and forth about from i have not been big on from this whole time i thought throwing at the combine was a mistake on his part just because <laughs> a lot of the combine drills are are they're deep throws and everything and that's just not what he's good at don't get me wrong, Jake Fromm is everything you heard. If you were watching the broadcast, they talked about it then too. He's one of the most intellectual people you can meet when it comes to football. Like he knows football. He just doesn't have that arm talent. He's not someone who can throw the ball deep. And and I do I agree with I believe it was Rich Eisen who said someone's gonna fall in love with this guy and they're gonna take him. He's probably gonna be a good NFL quarterback, and I wouldn't doubt that because he is really smart, but he's not a guy who's gonna be able to throw the ball like sixty yards on a rope. And you guys and, and you saw that in the combine drills. It was bad. And I really kind of felt for the kid because he I feel like probably lost himself some money and possibly there was talks before this that he might sneak into the back end of the first round, maybe be a high end second round pick. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not a third or fourth round pick now. Like he, he did not yeah. look good in my opinion. Uh, Jordan Love as well. I wanted to mention he, he kind of looked good in, uh, in some of the drills as well. Uh, outside of those guys, I mean, tight end wise, Adam Troutman and Harrison Bryant, I thought looked the best. Uh, not surprisingly, Cole Komet looked good as well. I love the tackle stuff. Like I brought that up right at the beginning. Makai Becton and uh, Tristan Wirth, I thought look, were just awesome in all of the drills and running the forties. Both of them killed it. Uh, in the 40s, so that that was pretty cool to see for me. Uh, I didn't get to watch a lot of the defensive stuff. I don't know if you did. Did you get no. to see any of the defensive stuff this weekend? No, I was a little busier. I, I watched some of the highlights. Um, it looked like Isaiah Simmons had oh, a... Yeah. Uh, four three nine, Incredible. Just ridiculous. Well, yeah, and kind of establishing himself. You know, we've seen that is... You know, some of the defensive positions, it feels like, uh, can help establish these guys for combine things yeah. more uh, than maybe some of the, you know, you basically, for position players, quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, they get scrutinized so much throughout the college season, post-college season. Uh, the combine is just one piece of that, but sometimes uh, defenders uh, and some of these other positions can kind of elevate themselves. And I, there was one of the offensive linemen, I can't remember which one, that had uh, a incredible 4D time. Uh, I want to say it was Worth. I think Becton, Becton, yeah, well, Worth's. Maybe it was Four, Becton. Five. Yeah, that, yeah, because Becton's was like five, like five one or something. Like his was really good too. It's, it was weird, not weird. It was extremely exciting to watch him because I think he was bigger as the bigger than Worth as well. Like he's a huge dude. And to run that fast is just ridiculous. I was trying to pull it up. I have a yeah. So Makai Becton four eight five. Yeah, I mean, good. Becton night, was man. five 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 one five one. Yeah, I mean the thirteenth fastest. Oh, just ridiculous. And I was, you know, yeah. we it's actually funny. Me and Dennis were talking. I, I don't think we were talking on air Friday, so it'd have been off air. Uh, Worfs is the guy that I was really hoping would fall to the Browns at ten. 
After the combine this weekend, I don't think that's happening. He's probably going to be the one or second tackle taken off the board. Uh I would love it. I mean, there's a lot of talk. I'm excited to see what they do. Obviously, I'm, I'm... uh, you know, I'm just going to plug it right now. I just got added to the uh, the Back Row Fantasy Show. We've talked about them a few uh, more than a few times on here. One of my favorite podcasts. A really a bunch of good guys. Barker, uh, who runs that show, was really the reason I was able to get this podcast up and running. So I'm much, very thankful to him. Uh, I'm going to be running the the Cleveland Browns podcast for their network now. So I'm excited about that. That just got announced today. It's going to be just Cleveland Browns centric. Uh, really excited about that. And uh, we were talking about that. Uh, a little bit me and Dennis were earlier and like I would actually be really excited because if Isaiah Simmons fell to the Browns as well there's I don't know yeah. if that'll happen now either uh with especially with the weekend he had there's a lot of talk about him going in the 9 to 12 range uh so I was hoping I did a couple of mock drafts on a uh, my goodness the name just jumped out of my head the draft network they have a really cool mock draft tool on there uh, where you can draft from like every team or you can just select teams. And I would just select the Browns and I would draft. And uh, in one of the drafts, I was able to get Isaiah Simmons at 10. Uh, you know, I'd love for either one of those guys to fall, but with the weekends they had, I, d- I don't think that's going to happen now. I think a lot of it will depend on how many teams possibly trade up or move around for those quarterbacks here in the draft. But, you know, uh, really quick, I wanted to mention too, Jeff Akuda. I thought looked really good. I mean, if you guys can look up his video on Twitter, it was kind of surfacing all over the place. The way that dude changes directions, the cornerback out of Ohio State, I think he's the best cornerback in this draft. Uh, some of the moves that he was making and the way he was able to change directions is just ridiculous. And then uh, Michael Divinity out of LSU, uh, I saw a lot of his highlights as well. I thought he had a really good combine as well, a guy who did not get to play much last year because of a drug test, uh, a failed drug test. So thought he looked really good, probably made himself a decent amount of money uh, this week or really kind of improved his draft stock since we did not get to see him at all uh, for the most part last year with LSU. Uh, so that really kind of breaks down everything for us on the Combine. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, as usual, we will get our week recap. It is week four of the XFL this past weekend. Uh, unfortunately, our D.C. defenders got just destroyed again. I'm debating on throwing away my really D.C. defenders. Yeah, I'm, I'm debating on burning my D.C. defenders gear because I feel like they've been sucking ever since I got that stuff in the mail. So I'm a little embarrassed to be wearing it as often as I am. Uh, but go ahead, Matt, give us a breakdown of what happened in week four of the XFL. First and ten at the Lions 29 and Prescott goes screen right. Elliott down the right side to the 25, to the 20, to the 10. Elliott to the pylon. Zeke Elliott, touchdown. 38 on the screen. Second down at 10, takes the snap, gives it. Chubb runs, he's in the 15, he's in the 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. There goes Chubb, he's in the 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Chubb a love home. 92 yards. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop, steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay home. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, so I thought the the weekend was bookended by a couple of games that were uh, disappointing. I had thought the Wildcats of L.A. really found something in Week 3. They ended up kind of losing a limperist game to the Guardians uh, to start the weekend. And then the last game of the weekend, uh, D.C., again, the closing game of the weekend, just does not show up. I mean, they lost 25-0 to a Vipers team that came in 0-3. 
Um, you know, they, their offense doesn't look good. Their defense doesn't look like it could stop a fart in the wind. They really have got some work to do. But in the middle, the, the late game on Saturday, uh, St. Louis kind of continuing its slow drive. They are now the leading team in the East, and they look like a favorite kind of in the East. I thought they played a very good game against a competitive Seattle Dragons team. They were able to win at home. They're now 3-1. and one. They're looking pretty good. Tough break for Seattle. They kind of went away from Brandon Silvers and went to Daniels, and he gave them a spark offensively, but they kind of missed out. The game of the weekend um, was the one I said would be the game of the weekend, so that worked out for me. The, the past couple of weeks, I picked what I thought was going to be the game of the week, and it's uh, not turned out well. But this one, the Roughnecks uh, playing the Dallas Renegades, kind of the top two teams in the, in the West. Roughnecks win to stay undefeated. Really heartbreaking. Um, Dallas was playing really well, and they were driving down there, and Landry Jones hurt his knee again. I saw uh, And Philip Nelson came in, threw that pick uh, by the end zone, kind of crushed their ability to come back in that game. And what's really kind of a bummer to me, the first Thursday night game of the season in a couple of weeks is the rematch between these teams. And when I was watching this game on Sunday, I was like, this is everything you're looking for, competitive back-and-forth football, some really fun. But uh, they're saying Landry Jones, MCL damage, four to six weeks, probably not coming back in the regular season. I think that really kind of leaves the West wide open. Dallas does – they did not look like a great team in week one when Jones was missing – We'll have to see if they can rally and lean on their running game. But that was not only a great – it was a great game, but it was an incredibly deflating ending, uh, especially going forward. So it's going to be kind of interesting. The Battlehawks and the Roughnecks have kind of seemingly separated themselves, um, and it's going to be kind of an interesting run to see who else can make the playoffs if we can get any kind of challenges going uh, these teams still trying to find some identity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, just some curious outcomes. This next week's slate is going to be really interesting because the DC goes back home and they have to try to get well, but they're hosting the Battle Hawks, uh, which doesn't bode well. And I thought Seattle was looking better, maybe have a chance, but they have to play the Houston Roughnecks. Meanwhile, you have Dallas and the New York Guardians which is going to be Luis Perez versus Philip Nelson. So I know, you know, get your hearts ready now. And the ESPN has uh, to be kind of asking themselves, it's going to be the first primetime uh, Sunday night game for the XFL, and they've got the Vipers and the LA Wildcats. It's possible after this week, five, <coughs> if everything breaks right, the Vipers, who started 0-3, might actually be the second best team in their conference. Yeah, I'm really not looking forward to that Renegades game. That's actually the game that I'm going to. And obviously, as as I mentioned earlier, you know when the when the Guardians oh, yeah, came that's out, right. yeah when the Guardians came out of that first week, I was like, okay, this might actually be a good game. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like I might have wasted my money now because it's gonna. Well, I have a feeling if, it's not. If gonna you be had Landry Jones, Dallas would would be fun to watch, and they yeah. you know they would be competitive and stuff. I just we saw week one, uh, you know, Philip Nelson threw it like. 50 times and completed like 30 something passes for 185 yards or something. It was the ultimate like dunk passing game. And, you know, Dallas didn't get a whole lot of offense going. So, you know, I just don't know if they can write that ship. Yeah, I don't I don't have, you know, high hopes. I'm just hoping to go and enjoy it. I mean, I, I've obviously living here in the area, I've watched a couple of their games now the past couple of weeks and it does seem like the atmosphere has been a lot of fun there. I think uh, yeah. I saw a stat earlier today that uh that they're actually the I think the first XFL tier they continued the trend with Seattle of like selling out or having more tickets uh, sold for their second game, which uh, some of the other teams didn't do. I think Seattle has mm-hmm. been really good in the Battle Hawks. I think is the other one that have been really yep. good with their home crowds. And I mean that makes sense. I mean I watched the I watched the Seattle Battle Hawks game. The Battle Hawks look good, man. I, yeah, they really do. Uh, let's well, uh, in Houston. That's the other thing. You know, the, the real question is Houston not only looks good on offense their defense is ferocious i mean they forced five turnovers in that dallas game 
they were eating people alive. Uh, you know, it's going to be fun when Houston, I think Houston and St. Louis actually played in week two, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a bummer because I would have liked to see them play more in the middle of the season. Cause I think that early, uh, yeah, Houston and St. Louis had kind of a marquee game week two, 28, 24. Um, and, but at that point in time, you're still trying to figure out who these guys are. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting because they're opposite conferences. They'll only play once. Uh, you're playing, you play each team from the opposing conference, I believe, once, and you play the teams in your conference twice. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens going to the playoffs. It's still been fun. It, you know, some of the games are a little bit like watching the fourth preseason game. Yeah. Um, but some of the games are, you know, that. That Dallas and Houston game, right up to that injury, was it reminded me of of games that you like to watch on NFL Sunday. There were teams making great defensive plays, or big scoring plays. There was a lot of tough battle in the trenches. I mean, I think it it's a better product than the AAF was. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, I can you know. We, we all hoped that the AAF would be something, uh, but I would honestly say probably after like maybe the second week, I kind of stopped watching the AAF because it just wasn't that interesting yeah. to me. I've found myself at least watching one, if not two or three of the XFL games every week. Like I've tried to kind of, of watch every game if I can. My biggest thing is, you know, as I'm sure you know as well, we I've kind of talked about it with Dennis yeah. uh you know, when, when we do as much, as much of this as we do with fantasy football in the regular season, we neglect certain people in our lives a little bit. And so this is our time to kind of get that in with our families. And, and this has kind of ruined that a little bit. Uh, so, you know, it, it, when it comes to this, I, I do try to spend more time with my wife and kids because this is, in a way, my, uh, my alone time, I guess is the way to put it, or my time to kind of... You know, spend more time with them because we know uh, the draft is just a couple months away, and then we're going to be right back into spring training or not spring training. I'm thinking baseball right now, uh, but training camps and then preseason. So yeah, it's it's going to be ridiculous. Uh, with what you've seen so far, give me the two teams out of each division because you, you, there's only two teams, correct? That go or is it four teams? Yeah, two teams from each division. Yep, no, two out of each division. Okay, so who is it? Uh, who is it you think is going to make it right now? I mean, we're we're what like almost halfway through the season now. How many, uh, who do you yeah, think this, is going to uh, go? There's, it's a 10-week regular season, so we'll hit the halfway mark uh, this, this week. week. <sighs> it's so tough. But in the East, um, you know, I think St. Louis goes in. They look like a pretty solid team. And I actually, I want to, to have the defenders in there. Oh, I know, so do I. But they have... They have looked so bad the last couple weeks, and I'm sort of of the opinion that Tampa Bay, they never looked terrible. They just couldn't finish. And it feels like now they're kind of finishing. That was a really stunning beatdown in all phases uh, of D.C. last night. So Tampa Bay started out the season as a favorite to win the XFL title by betters. And for the first three weeks, it was like, oh, my God, what were they thinking? But <laughs> I I think it's going to be Seattle and Tampa Bay, as crushing as that is. You mean uh, the Battlehawks? Yeah, St. Louis Battlehawks and Tampa Bay Vipers, I think, in the East. Gotcha, okay. Uh, you know, I'd like it to be D.C., but I, I just don't. D.C., I think, is lacking, like, that marquee player who can help them take over a game on offense. Uh-huh. And I like Cardale, but just some real problems. You know, yeah. they, they can get it corrected, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking the Guardians weren't as good as we thought to start the season, and Seattle wasn't as good as we thought to start the season, and those were kind of the games the defenders won. In the West, it Houston's definitely in. Yeah. You know, I think they look like potentially one of the best teams top to bottom. The injury to Landry Jones really changes my thinking a little bit. LA and Seattle are both one and three. Renegades are, are excuse me, they're yeah, they're one and three. The Renegades are two and two. But that that loss of Landry Jones, I like their running backs. I like their coaching staff. I like their tenacity. They have a they have a good defense. I think LA 
LA is the one that is really hard to get a read on. They have Josh Johnson. They have some good receivers like Nelson Spruce, some guys that can really stretch the field. It was sort of a curious loss to me this week uh, to the Guardians because I thought L.A. was starting to get hot. Um, Seattle's had kind of tough scheduling luck, too. The West feels more wide open, but if I was guessing right now, I think Houston and, and L.A., as weird as it seems. All right, awesome. So I'm betting on two, one, and three teams, apparently. Well, you know. So is uh, I because I didn't get to see. I, I saw the injury. So is Landry Jones done for the season? I didn't. I, I mean, it looked bad. I didn't see so what actually happened to him, though. It was that classic Patrick. That classic Patrick Mahomes jack your knee up on a quarterback keeper. Yeah. And um, a lineman just put all of his weight on oh. Landry's knee while his foot was planted. I saw it when it went. And it flexed back. What they said is it's an MCL strain. Uh-huh. So he had hurt his knee in practice before the season. That's why he was wearing that same that brace on that knee. Yeah. That's why he missed the week one. So they're saying if it, you know, I think they're they were still doing going to have to do more testing in the immediate aftermath. You know, they were saying they thought it could be a four to six week injury, which means oh. it would be tough for him to be back. Yeah. Um, you know, he could come back, but let's say he misses four weeks and Dallas ends up two and six or three and five. You know, is there going to be enough time in those last two to, to get up? The nice thing is there's two front runners in each conference and it feels like it's wide open, wide open behind them. Oh. But I just don't know if, if Philip Nelson and the running game is going to be enough. Uh, you know, I think we'll have a better idea of what the Renegades are going to be able to do. If, the, if they can win at home against the Guardians this week, I'll feel a little better about their chances. Well, I'll be rooting them on for sure. Even though I'm, I'm, you know, DC defenders to heart, I'll have my DC defenders gear on. Although they've been kind of disappointing here, obviously, the past couple weeks, as you just mentioned. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the game. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it, or I'm hoping it'll be a whole lot of fun. Uh, Matt, thank yeah. you for, uh, for definitely for jumping on with me today. Talk a little bit of combine, XFL, and NFL news. I look forward to jumping on with you Thursday, and who knows? Maybe we'll do the mock draft stuff we were talking about, some free agency. We got time to figure out what we're going to do, but we'll, we'll be back on Thursday, hopefully, with Tony uh, bringing the crew back together and have another podcast for you guys. Until then, I will talk to you guys later. Matt, thank you again, and I will talk to you on Thursday. Yep, have a great night. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly! Only tackle him at the point of Who can make a play? I can! Who can make a play? I can! I can.